0: It's also a good thing this morning we have uh, an opportunity to introduce you to uh, a guest speaker for us this morning. Marlena Graves has been with us this last week or for this weekend yesterday and today uh, or a Friday and yesterday and today. And she is leading a retreat for us about 20 or so of us gathered for a couple of days and a day and a half and to consider what is it that God is calling us into what a kind of name that he may pull pour into us and how the direction he may be. Pushing us towards and it's been a very good thing for us to be about and it's been a good thing for us to to learn from her She's a pastor from a uh, unite uh, mommy united Methodist People want to say united methodist church of mommy, but it's mommy united methodist church Um, and so we're very grateful to have her be with us and to share with us what god has laid on her heart uh, there's a passage that she's going to be kind of referencing this morning. And it comes from philippians chapter 2 And it may be a familiar Uh, sight or familiar words for some of us but Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 and I'll I'll read this and then we can welcome Marlena up and and give us a a word from the Lord So Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 says in your relationships with one another Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let me pray for us and pray for Marlena, and then we can welcome her to come and bring a word for us. Gracious Father, we pray that as we hear from You this morning, we pray a blessing over Marlena and her words, that they would be anointed by your spirit and that they would come and they would teach us what we need to hear. And lower our defenses, Father, lower our hearts' defenses to hear from you. We're grateful for your presence and for your spirit's work in our life. Give us grace to hear and courage to respond. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, Marlena, would you?
1: If you want to know... My point in a nutshell, it's this. A God-shaped life is a life of humility, of servanthood, of self-surrender. It's a life full of grace, and it's the life that God expects from us. Well, a couple years ago, I stood alone at our kitchen counter. I was looking out the window at the menacing gray clouds, I think it must have been January or February, and I read God the riot act. I said, Lord, I have nothing left. I'm empty, barren. Your people, or the scoundrels who claim to be, are a bunch of arsonists who set fire to our entire Christian community. You let them burn it down to the ground, And then let them off scot-free. All my friends are gone. I have no real friends. And no home. We were selling our home to position ourselves to help one of our daughters who had medical needs. We've given up everything to follow you. Just for once, could you let the meek inherit the earth instead of being trampled on? It seems like God has me carrying one cross or another. I lay one down just to pick another one up. I continued my litany of complaints to God. What glory is there in this? What more do you want from me? We did what's right and look what happened. I have nothing left to give. N-O-T-H-I-N-G, nothing. I'm on empty, bone dry. Just change my name to Mara, because with Naomi in the Old Testament, I'm bitter. A moment later, I threw down the gauntlet. And I asked God, is this how you treat your friends? The question's not my own. It's one that I stole from St. Teresa of Avila. The story goes that she was traveling with a band of priests and other nuns, she was on her way to start a new convent. And as the holy party crossed a stream, her donkey reared up and launched her into the air and she fell off. In that moment, she said she heard the Lord say to her, "That is how I treat my friends." And without skipping a beat, she retorted with, "That is why you have so few of them." <laughs> Oh, how I can identify with her response. Another time, she described life as a night spent at an uncomfortable inn. When I tried that line on God, telling him that my life, too, felt like an uncomfortable inn, the Lord quickly countered with, well, at least you have somewhere to lay your head. And at least there's room at the end for you. And I was like, I see how you are. You know, God speaks to us in our own ways. I take my permission to speak freely to God, and you should too, from the Bible, especially the Psalms. and the great cloud of witnesses throughout history, I spend my nights and days telling him what I think. It could be complaints, prayers, praises, laments, disgust with evangelical national politics, depression, dreams, and inside jokes. Sometimes God and I find ourselves in side splitting laughter, especially when well intentioned souls sing fervently but horribly off key in church. When that happens, I lose my composure every single time. I laugh so hard that I shake with tears running down my face. Then I have to exit my pew and flee to the restroom to regain my composure. My worst nightmare is when I'm helping to lead the service and someone is singing loudly off key and I hear them. Beside myself, I look down as if I'm praying or quietly contemplating what's being sung, only I'm not. I'm trying not to die laughing and hoping not to make anyone feel bad or distract the congregation. Thankfully, that only happened one time, and that's a story for another time. (laughs) When everyone's looking at you up there on stage, it's kind of hard. On other occasions, I'm overcome by God's holiness, and we sang about that uh, with Jason leading today. And so I'm flat on my face, prostrate, with no words and speechless amid God's mystery. There's a lot of things I don't know. When, my dad was l- or when I was little, excuse me, my dad, who I love deeply, would get in silly moods sometimes, and uh, he attempted to make my siblings and I laugh and also express his love with his rendition of iconic country singer Willie Nelson's song, Always On My Mind. Mostly my dad humored himself, and we clapped our ears because he sounded like a howling wolf. Maybe that's why I can't control myself when someone sings way off tune. But I suppose that if I were to fiddle with the lyrics just a little bit, The song says, you were always on my mind. But if I changed it to, you are always on my mind, I could serenade God with, you're always on my mind. You're always on my mind. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God in three persons, blessed Trinity, you are always on my mind. He's always on my mind wherever I am and in whatever condition I find myself in, even if I'm standing at the kitchen window reading him the right act. He's still on my mind. I'm just reading him the right act. He's always on my mind, even if he chooses to plead the fifth. When God is silent and darkness covers the face of my earth, I take a number, like at the DMV, and stand in a long line with the rest of them, Job, Jesus, and all those through thousands of years who've had God plead the fifth on them. Have you ever had God plead the fifth on you? My greatest tantrums, my most brilliant protests, My intestine-twisting agonies seldom pry a straight answer or any answer from him on my timetable. So even though I know that, I can't make God answer me when I want him to answer me, I can find it hard to wait in the waiting room of life. And maybe you can too. Sometimes in the waiting room of life, I shoot up from my chair, You know, you imagine yourself in a medical office and I try a different tactic. I pace back and forth like a caged animal. I stomp on the floor and I make all the noise I can. I wave my hands like a fool, trying to different antics to get God's attention. When that doesn't work, I head straight to God's door and I start asking, seeking, and knocking. No pounding. I know you're in there, God. When are you gonna show your face? I figure I'll be the persistent widow in Scripture. But God persists in responding in his own time, in his own way, and on his own terms. I'm forced to sit down, to trust him, instead of giving in to despair, while he, on the other hand, has the right right to remain silent. I can't stand it. Most of the time, I can only trust him in a new round of waiting with the help of other people the Christian community. On my own, I fall apart, and yet even in the waiting room of my life, my life remains God-haunted. Really, what I mean is drunk, a staggering drunk because I'm God-intoxicated. Like I said, even when I'm reading God the Riot Act. (laughs) So that day after I read the God the Riot Act, Complaining that about taking up my cross, doing what's right, and following him is really what that was about. I said I did what's right, and look where it got me. I'm worse off. After I read him the right act, I had no more to say. I was done. I quit talking. Eventually, in the silence between us, I heard him respond to me in a faint whisper—not an audible whisper but that still small voice type of whisper. This is one time when he didn't plead the fifth. This is what he said to me. Only when you are empty can you you be made full, and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I'll say it loudly. Only when you are empty can you be made full, and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. That is not what I wanted to hear. He should have pled the fifth. All <laughs> <So>, right. <laughs> Only recently have I begun to realize what that word to me and the particularities in my life and the knowledge of what he was trying to do meant. In order for me To be full of grace, I must be empty, not just empty, empty of my own will. I was throwing a tantrum because life wasn't turning out the way I wanted it to. Obviously, it was not his will that that we remained where we were, and I was complaining about it loudly. And that's natural, and that's okay to do. Look at the Psalms. Even Jesus said, can you take this cup from me at the Garden of Gethsemane? And I call that the worst night of his life. So it's okay to say, I don't like this, God. The pathway for me and you to deeper communion with God is to allow him to empty us of our own will in exchange for his. That's the way to the glory in God's kingdom, to become a servant a servant of his will, not of our own will. In that moment, I was reminded of this verse, God talking to me again. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Ephesians 5, 14. God is interested in moving me and you further and further away from any vestiges of self-concern and self-centeredness. That doesn't mean we don't care for ourselves, but maybe a better way I should say it is he's interested in moving us away from being self-absorbed. He wants to strip me of any illusions I possess so that I could live in reality. Some of us aren't living in reality. All of us, to to an extent, aren't living in full reality. But God is intent on making you and me more real and a less distorted image of him. And when that happens, you and I will love him and love others in a deeper way, in a selfless, servanthood way. If I want to be full and open to receiving God's grace, if I want to be more human and selfless, first I must be emptied. One sentence that captures this is John 3.30. He must increase and I must decrease. And you know what? It's not like I've never heard that concept before. I've read it in Scripture. I've read um, what Pastor Brian read, um, Philippians 2.5-8. But it's one thing to talk about being emptied. There's a Greek word for it. It's called kenosis. It's one thing to talk about kenosis in the way that Jesus lived his entire life, one thing to define it, one thing to discuss it in a detached sort of cerebral way, to keep it at a safe distance, it's another thing to, altogether when God tells us to put it into practice. And guess what? He always calls us to put it into practice, right? God says, uh, be Jesus, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you do, go into James I think it's James, you deceive yourselves. You deceive yourselves. So we have to voluntarily be open to emptying of our will in a situation in our lives. We have to renounce our will in favor of God's will. And what, when that happens, our life will be characterized by self-giving to God and to others. It's a yieldedness to God, submission and Again, speaking of Mother's Day, Mary, the mother of God, displayed in her tender and trust-filled acceptance of God's birth announcement delivered by the angel Gabriel. She exhibited trust-filled acceptance when she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. Mary embraced the poverty of self-will with a spirit of humility even when she had no idea what was happening and no guarantee that it all would turn out well in terms of the way that she and society defined well. She risked everything on God. Are you and I willing to risk everything on God, give up our self-will in circumstances when we would rather be doing or being or something else? Are we willing to risk everything on God? We say that, we sing it, but do we do it? And when push comes to shove, well, none of us do that perfectly. But God's calling us more and more to do it more and more in the strength of this community, in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Do you think that Jesus learned that habit of of submission to God's will, of self-emptying and renunciation from his mother? Do you think he learned to risk everything on the father from his mother? His mother did it. Now I think about the first time that God woke up, he looked into the face of his mother. Right? She taught him a lot. Joseph might have helped deliver him, but he opened his eyes and looked into the face of his mother. Just like Mary, Jesus said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Just like Mary, he said, I'm handing myself over to you, Father, because I know I can trust in your love and in your will for me. I don't need to fear what I don't understand because my life and my times are in your hands. He's telling you and I, you don't need to fear what you don't understand because your life and your times are in God's hands. You know what? All throughout our lives, and in that moment that I told you about in the beginning of this sermon, God will test our trust. Our trust trust will be tested. In that moment, will you and I have the same posture Jesus had? Will we finally say, Uncle? If we're in a wrestling match with God, will we say, Uncle? And from Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Will we say, just like Jesus, I'm going to be emptied, I'm going to take the form of a servant and become obedient even unto death? Because just like Jesus, God's calling us to be obedient unto death. God did not mess around in the Christian life. Any kind of anemic Christianity you hear preached or put in books, throw it in the trash. (laughs) The Lord does not mess around. He said, count the cost of following me. But what happens when we follow him? Full of grace and glory, right? Sometimes we don't want to do what God calls us to do. Like me, we complain it's too much of a toll. It'll take too much of a heavy toll on us. I just don't want to do it. I don't want to move. I don't want to go to my job today with a good attitude. (laughs) I don't want to be kind to the person that's treating me badly. I don't want to love my enemies I don't want to ask forgiveness for the things that I've done. That's too much. It's too embarrassing. I'm not going to do it. We dig in our heels. We prefer to be giving God and other people the orders instead of taking them as a servant, right? I mean, if we're honest. And besides, in the Christian life, at least here on earth, and I say here on earth, Following Jesus, as I read on your website, living the simple life, a life of simplicity, is not going to get us anywhere. It's not going to get us to be famous in Hollywood. It's not going to get us probably to be the richest person around. It's not going to make us famous in the world's eyes. There's not going to be any standing ovations for you forgiving that person at work that treats you like crap, right? Right? There won't be any Nobel Peace Prizes awarded or high fives. Our offering up ourselves as a living sacrifice, our heroic thousand little deaths, the kinds that legends are made of in heaven, will pass by mostly unnoticed here on the earth. Yet, also in The Great Divorce, Brian, a book by C.S. Lewis that we like, It says you have heard that fame in heaven and fame on earth are two different things, right? In uh, in heaven, the greatest in the kingdom or in the kingdom of God are the servants of all. As we close, Carol Houselander writes that many people feel they could achieve heroic holiness if they could do it in a way that appeals to them. We could pick our crosses. For example, being martyred. They can picture themselves cheerfully going to the stake to get burnt. But if God makes no revelation, let me put this even more. You know, it would be fun to go be a missionary overseas instead of loving the people in my house. That's much easier, right? Let me go on a missions trip, which is phenomenal. I know you guys are going to Guatemala, right? Or Honduras. I'm not putting that down. But it's easier to love people you see for a week than the people you see every single day of your life. But Jesus calls us to do that. It's easier to go be a martyr. But But if God makes no revelation, but just lets them go on carrying out an insignificant job in the office day after day, or ask them to go on being gentle to a crotchety husband or wife, or to continue to be a conscientious, housemaid, they are not willing. They do not trust God to know his own will for them. I'm guilty of that. I don't want to, I didn't want to do what he, that's why I read him the riot act. Hearing God to, God's call to renounce our wills each new day is taking up our cross and following him. It's choosing selflessness instead of selfishness and self-absorption, and it's not a one-time deal. We constantly have to examine ourselves and ask ourselves if we're willing, really willing to see Jesus. I did what Peter did when I was young. I told, like Peter, I told Jesus that I'd go any length for him, that I'd follow him anywhere, that I'd die for him. And then when push came to shove and life didn't turn out the way I wanted to, when I finally realized what was at stake, and maybe you do this too, we backpedal. We swear up and down that we don't know Jesus or what he's about. Or that, or that we even knew following him would require so much of us. Maybe, like me, we read God the right act. We continue in this vein until we hear a rooster crow in the distance, and then we're beside ourselves. Help me out here. You'll, you'll get what I'm saying. In the kingdom, the way up is down. Let's say it again. In the kingdom, the way up is down. Down, and it's a steep drop down to go up because we're all so selfish in so many ways that we want to be served instead of serving. Way up is down, servanthood, allowing yourself to be emptied of your own will so you can be full of God's life. It's a question I ask myself every day Am I willing to be emptied? Am I willing to go down? to be a servant so that he can lift me up. Lord says that he shall exalt the humble. The the proud shall be cast down, but the humble shall be exalted. It's only with his help and with the help of our community that we can do this and keep our eyes on him. So Lord, help us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit,
0: amen.